Life can be so much easier for us or so much harder depending on how we manage our expectations. You've probably heard it said at one time or another that, an, that a hidden expectation is a resentment under construction. And a hidden expectation is one that is hidden from us. It's one we don't know we have, one we're not aware of, an expectation of how the world is supposed to work that is as close to us as the air we breathe. And we learn very early in life what things mean. With respect to our faith, our hidden expectations show up often as functional theology. Whatever we intellectually believe, there may be this still this deep stuff that we learn somewhere along the line that God is supposed to take care of us, supposed to fix our boo-boos, supposed to help us not have bad dreams, supposed to make sure that everything's all right. And then uh, whatever, when these expectations of God or indeed of church or our expectations of our parents or expectation of our children uh, can often lead to a profound sense of disappointment when they're not met. And it's really hard to get at why we're disgruntled because intellectually that's not what we say we believe. It's not what we really say we think. It's deep, deep stuff. So when you come across yourself feeling disgruntled and you're not sure why, Ask yourself, what do I really expect? What was it like for me growing up? What would my mother have said about this? What, what, what did my parents do? And questions that tease out these hidden expectations, because once they're named, then we can set about the spiritual work of choosing our response to them. Then we can get freed up so that we're not sabotaging ourselves. One example. I always said that I wanted to be an equal parent I wanted to be fully engaged in the rearing and raising of my children. And indeed, that's what I believe I have been. In fact, possibly even a little more than equal some days. And uh, I didn't aspire to be perfect, just a participant in the whole business. And it took me a long time to work out that I was disgruntled because I really wasn't being appreciated enough for how marvelous I was being. See, it, it should have been enough. I was being taken, my word was being taken at face value. You want to be an equal parent? Sure, be my guest. Let's both be equal parents. That's great. Wonderful. So why wasn't it enough? Well, in time, I was able to get underneath the layers of liberalism and feminism and all my commitments as to how things should be and realized that somewhere, deep, deep down, in spite of my commitments, I really believed somewhere that it was the woman's job to take care of the children, you see. And so I was being a hero, and I wasn't being told how heroic I was being, and I was sabotaging myself. You see, my own expectation that I didn't know I had of how the world is supposed to be. And once, once you get, get to grips with it, and you can start to deal with it, it's rather like believing that you're opposed to racism and then discovering how deeply affected you are, deep in the DNA of your being. Or, or thinking, uh, really, everyone's supposed to be straight, and discovering that you're not. And then deep, deep down, getting, getting really clear and comfortable so that you're not sabotaging yourself and acting out in, in funny ways. It's what we do to ourselves with these hidden expectations that is so tricky. And once we name them, then we can decide what we want to do. And if we feel disgruntled after that, it's for some other reason, usually much more obvious. So how much more tricky are these hidden expectations when they have to do with the source of our being, when they have to do with, uh, the, with God, when they have to do with all that, we, that makes us who we are? 
Now, I confess that I've not read deeply in the field known as the New Atheists, but I have read some uh, by the people who are getting a lot of press about why we shouldn't believe in God or why you can't believe in God or why they no longer believe in God. And I suspect that frequently those who find their books helpful are those who are hearing an articulation of some possible reason for a lingering dissatisfaction or disappointment with all things godly. And of the ones I have read, what I find is the gods that these authors rather gleefully reject are for the most part, and as best I can tell, the same gods that I would reject and you would reject, the same versions which we would reject and are rejected also by the story of the living God told in Scripture. And so we might imagine them or us being asked by Jesus, what do you expect? What did you go out to the wilderness to see, to look at? Was it a reed shaken by the wind, a a beautiful distraction, the sort of uh, biblical times version of a nature walk where you go out and the reeds are a beautiful thing? People did this. They went out to watch them uh, fall at, at night and as the sun came up, stand up and then and then fall down in the day and and be moved by the wind? Was it a distracting sight of beauty that you went to see? Or if not that, was it someone, was it a celebrity? Someone dressed in soft robes? Or was it even a prophet? Are you looking for a God who will make everything all right? An experience that will make you feel good? Uh, a, A hope against hope that things can be different? A celebrity sighting? Because somehow we always feel a little more important when we're in the presence of a celebrity. And we all, or better yet, on, if, we, if we can get on television, then we know somehow we're more real in a funny way. Maybe you went out to the wilderness to see that. And we're told in response, whatever our answers, we're told in response, whatever you're looking for, whatever you think you're looking for, you are going to find and see much, much more than that. You're going to see the kingdom of heaven drawing near. You're going to see what happens when God draws close and becomes present. And it's not necessarily a fearful thing because look, the blind receive their sight and the deaf hear and the dead are raised and the poor have good news preached to them. These miracles are signs of the kingdom, intimations of the kind of thing that happen when God draws near. And they're not really about the meeting of our needs. They're not really about the fixing of things that are wrong in the sense of making everything all right when it's not. They're not about meaning we don't have to face death, the reality of death, or, or fixing us when we're sick. They're much more about the world being put to rights and power being distributed or redistributed so that every human being, every creature can thrive, can thrive in the glory and the presence and the love of God. It's, it's a sign of what happens when God draws near. It's so much more, so much more than just hoping that something will work out if we go to church. And it's this reality for which we pray in the Lord's Prayer, which we say all the time. The prayer assumes that such putting things to rights will be a costly thing, that when God draws near, everything gets turned upside down. We've been looking at Advent and are experiencing Advent through the lens of this prayer uh, in this season. We've looked at at uh, who God is, and we've looked at what it means something to be turning toward God. And what we're getting now is, is what happens when God draws near. We're being offered Scripture that is opening up a challenge to some of our expectations, perhaps deep, deep expectations we don't even know we have 
about how the world is supposed to be. And we're looking at what that means. So we pray that we will be led not into temptation and that we will be delivered from evil. And these things go together because deliverance from evil is what happens when our worlds are turned upside down. When, as we've just sung so beautifully, when God has brought down the powerful from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. There's been a lot of ink used trying to translate the word that comes to us as temptation. Or in the, the modern liturgies of the Lord's Prayer, spare us from the time of trial. And, and what exactly this means and how we're to appropriate it. See, the problem is we're not asking God to spare us from some kind of enticement to the allure of petty sins. It's not, oh God, help us not have that chocolate when we're on a diet. It's not that kind of thing. And nor is the thrust of the word about something that's good for us. It means testing, but as we know, lots of testing makes us stronger. And Jesus is not telling us to pray to avoid something that makes us stronger. The, the, the thrust of the word is much more bound up with this plea about deliverance from evil. We're praying that we won't have to face whatever it is that will destroy us and give evil the victory not only over us, but evil the victory in this world. It's the kind of testing, the other time it's used is when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the kind of testing that is facing a time of trial that is absolutely costly. And Jesus was not spared his time of trial. He went to his death and paid the price of overcoming evil, unveiling the mechanisms of evil with his very life. We're praying to avoid that. We're praying to avoid being in a situation that will destroy us. We're being delivered, we ask, from evil. We're praying in the Lord's Prayer, in other words, about ultimate things, things that really matter. Justice, daily bread for all, deliverance for all, the kind of reordering of the world that must occur when God draws near, and a plea that we won't have to face the final death throes of evil resisting the change that denudes it of power. Evil always resists change that starts redistributing power so that all may thrive. Because evil feels like, it feels like a loss, feels like something terrible. And often we participate in evil and we start reacting. That's not how the world's supposed to be. I just know it in my bones. That's wrong. Evil resists the redistribution of power, and we're praying that we won't have to face the final death throes of love winning the victory. So if the people came out into the wilderness to be entertained, or if they went out to get near celebrity, or if they're looking for the latest guru, fix, magic diet, hot church, whatever it is, they will be disappointed and find their expectations challenged in the extreme. And we can either get angry, resent it, stomp off, or do the hard spiritual work of discovering and teasing out and naming those things that are inhibiting the work of God. Those things in us that are getting in the way of our thriving and allowing others to thrive and then set them in aside in favor of something much more demanding, than something truly salvific the real presence of God drawing close and drawing near. 
And so this is a season, looking through the lens of the Lord's Prayer, especially perhaps when we can get to grips with what we hope for, with what we expect of God. We're going to hear about the prophecies of the lion lying down with the lamb, the inauguration of the dawn of the time of salvation, the age in which God's justice and God's peace is made manifest. And how do we respond? It's rather like saying, what do you want for Christmas? Cross our fingers, hope for the best, pray that it may be true, even though we know January is going to be pretty much like last January. Or do we um, settle for a wonderful time of celebration and family and friends and sharing and generosity and a great time for the children? And it, it really is lovely and say, well, that's what it is. Or do we renew our resolve to claim the promise? Do we renew the response to the first time we began to perceive the possibility that we are beloved of God? Do we embrace the change in which our lives become worth living to the full and realize that includes change in us? It's this last option that is the proper answer to Jesus' question as to what we're hoping to see. And it's the last question also that leads us to pray. Once we get what's going on, when God draws near, we have to pray, deliver us from evil. Save us from the time of trial. Save us from the trials that will destroy us as evil tries one last time to win the victory. In silence and in response to the gospel, let us pray.